What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Varsity Breakdown Podcast. This is episode 55, the week six recap. As we've had some good games come uh, come along our way, another doubleheader, uh, which featured uh, two great teams. But before we dive into this week six recap, there was uh, something that kind of took center stage throughout the course of this week uh, that I know we wanted to sit down and talk about. You want to open up with that? Yeah. So last week, you might have noticed in the middle of our podcast, there was absolutely zero mention of the Sequoia Pathway Pumas or who they were playing or even the controversy that was going on. So the Sequoia Pathway Pumas, unfortunately, have ended their varsity season. Um, It's unfortunate because they had claimed it was about player participation, that they didn't have enough players to suit up. And if you look at our local publications and you get to see their head coach's comments. And if you're a player and you got to think, and, and, I, and, and it's crazy because as an adult, you don't really think this way, but you got to put yourself in their shoes. As a kid, to be told, you're not giving me anything. You're not, you're not giving your all when you don't really know if those kids are giving their all and, you're, and you have the nerve to say they're just out there. That's, that's pretty hateful and it gives a reason for those kids to not want to participate. If you're if you're a coach, you're supposed to help enrich them. I don't feel you're supposed to tear them down and put them in a mental state where they feel like they can't compete, let alone be out there with their teammates. What was your thought when you seen the post from AZ Central and everything else that was going on when we found out that they had the season canceled? And then on top of that, going to facebook and social media and seeing the outpouring of support for the past regime and how things were handled especially getting a first-hand account from those student athletes that were there still there and then had recently graduated and got a taste of what this new coach was like and and what type of values he was instilling well uh, for me it was a bit of a shock you know coming into uh the end of last year you know sequoia pathway went five and five and to find out Coach Donnie wasn't returning was a big surprise, uh, not only for me, but I think for both of us as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm not going to dive into this new coach at Sequoia Pathway. You know, I'm a person that I don't like to uh, discuss somebody that I've never met, never engaged with. So I think that I can leave him out of this equation. But at the same time, you got to see that these comments are not only from former players current and uh, past coaches. And, you know, you also see what came across in his past history when he was at Santan Charter in Arcadia. So, like I said, I'm not going to sit there and judge a person's character that I've never met. But at the same time, you know, the way I think is if it looks like a duck, swims like a duck, and quacks like a duck, chances are it is a duck. And so a lot of those stories kind of are all similar in a sense. So there might be some truth to there. But what I want to focus on is the man who had to defend himself. And that's Coach Donnie and his coaching staff. That's a person that I've met in person and got to know his character. And I know what a lot of people when they look at Donnie, there's a certain demeanor that they get from him as this kind of thuggish with the grill type of coach. But if you actually sit and you talk with them and you look at what he does for his programs, you got to judge it based off of that, off of the character of a person. And Coach Donnie is one of the most humble and loving coaches I've ever met, you know, in the three years that we've been doing this. And on top of it, he got these kids to buy into this program and as well as his coaching staff to uplift Maricopa and have the focus not be on a 5A school, but on a little 2A charter school. And so I think that you have to realize the impact that he made in that program and in that community to say maybe this school made the wrong decision in not having him come back. If you look at the messages we got uh, last year about students wanting to walk out for him, in support for him, And then you see how many students transferred 
once they found out he wasn't coming back. That program went from 56 players down to 20 at the start of the season. But is it because of the other coach? It could be. Or could it be the impact that Donnie made and they no longer wanted to be a part of that program anymore? I think it's the latter because first impressions are everything. And I I know you didn't want to speak on them, but I'm not really afraid to. I I think that the first impression I got from him was – clear house and that's exactly what he did he cleared house but he was like you know you could stay here but know that this is my house now and that was the impression I got from I didn't like it we we had private conversations and I was like I feel like that situation was done dirty let's think about the first impression we got from coach Donnie never met the guy he had saw what we had started out doing three years ago when we first started the varsity breakdown and he had reached out to us and was like hey I see you guys doing what you guys do for these boys Here's a li- he gave us a list of his, his athletes, w- what they were doing, their GPAs. What can I do to help my boys? And we made Sequoia Pathway a part of the varsity breakdown. Not because we saw them and we saw how edgy they were. We took them in because their coach took the initiative to reach out to us and said, hey, my boys love what you are doing for, for the boys of Casa Grande, Eloy, and Coolidge. Can you help us out? We, we would really appreciate it. What can I do to do that? What, what type of person does that who's a negative person? He's not. He cares about these boys, not even just on the field. He cares about them off the field. Sequoia Pathway had to deal with a huge tragedy last year. He was able to keep those boys together for a whole season. Granted, it wasn't a winning season. It wasn't a season that you can look back on and be proud of. Well, technically, it wasn't a losing season as well. You're, you're right. But at the same time, in order to break even – is such a big deal, especially just mo- days before their first game to have that, that tragedy strike. For them, another thing, for them to be told the reason why they break, break on 12, 4K, that they got to leave it in the past, of course I would leave. You're going to tell me that somebody that I love doesn't matter anymore? Nah, that's, that's a wrap. And if you look at the records for Coach Donnie, the records speak volume when – uh, before they came up and jumped into the two-way AIA division, they were excelling, you know, in in the CAA division. And so, at the end of the day, it just I feel for the uh, the players, you know, mm-hmm. especially for the remaining ones that were trying to stick it out and have a full season of football. Now that's kind of you know scratched. And to me, this kind of with all the controversy involved in it it's going to kind of hurt this program even more coming into next year because of the things that were said. And so I see that in the future, these players may transfer out to Desert Sunrise or to Maricopa or Heritage Academy or come down a little bit more um, west of uh, Pinal County into uh, one of these schools like, you know, the Banks Brothers and such. And so it just hurts me, you know, to see – that a program that we really loved and enjoyed to be a part of just kind of ended four games in and to see everything else that's kind of coming out, it just, it, it's very tough, especially for those players who were seniors this year and won't get an opportunity to have a full season. Yeah. Guys like Tayshawn Moreno, who, who got injured and was still hoping to be a Puma had to go through all this negativity and it's just mad unfortunate. And, for all those student athletes, if you're listening, if you want to reach out to us to just just to vent or to even to to give us your side of the story, trust us. We've been following on social media. We've been listening and talking amongst ourselves, and it, it took us a long while to address this elephant in the room. But we felt like tackling it head on in the beginning of the show is exactly what we needed to do because we got mad love for Coach Donnie, what he's what he's done with the Sequoia Pathway Pumas. And everybody in that organization, because one thing that I've looked at this past weekend, he's helping out with the Papago Pumas now. And there's some boys from Pinal County out there that's represented, like Michael Luna. He's in the Pumas uniform again. Our dude, Big Bo Cotherman, seeing the, that Donnie's going to be able to touch those student athletes that were on the other side of the county and help build them up, it's going to be really good for them. And, and I'm just happy that Coach Donnie is is able to do what he does. And he's got the support, not of only just us, but he's got support everywhere. Mm -hmm. And if he ever needs anything at all, he knows we're just a quick click away. 
And let's move on into our week six recap as we're going to start in the two-way division as we had Alchesay visiting ALA Anthem South where Alchesay took home the victory 44-27. to But at the same time, coming off of that forfeit uh, against Wilcox, ALA Anthem South is able to put up some points again. Yeah, that, that was the best thing to see. It wasn't a win for the Titans, but at the end, they were able to score 27 points against Alchese on their homecoming night. So if you're a student athlete in, in that Titans uniform, you got a lot to be proud of and, and, and a lot to look forward to this coming Friday as you prepare for one of the toughest teams in the 2A conference. So just keep your heads up and, and then keep fighting. And I hope that the Titans just keep that spirit moving on into the end of the season. And you definitely got to be proud of them. I mean, back-to-back games where they scored 20-plus points, the previous three games, you know, not scoring anything at all. So, you you know, you're starting to get in a little bit of a rhythm there. And hopefully, uh, you know, this game is going to be one of the toughest ones that they'll face all season. But at the same time, I like the progress that the Titans are making uh, at this point in the season because that's all we wanted is just to see that progress. And I think that uh, they're, they're able to uh, do that the past two weeks. But let's move on into our other two-way uh, matchup, which featured the Santa Cruz Dust Devils heading down to NFL yet to take on the Eagles. And the Dust Devils do it again on the offensive side as they put up 62 points to the Eagles' seven. Boy, Santa Cruz saw NFL, and they thought exactly what the Miami Dolphins did to the Broncos, and they put a thrashing on the Eagles. If, if you look at the numbers, well, actually, you're the numbers guy. Why don't you dive into that? Well, Nathan Harris had himself a day throwing for 217 yards and five touchdowns, and then you had Carlos Cruz, a sophomore who was the uh, main running back as he rushed for 101 yards and one touchdown, the big thing you have to kind of circle around there is uh, there's no mention of Jonathan Ramos. So I hope everything's okay with him as, as far as maybe injuries or something else going on there. But look at that wide receiver core. Ezekiel Perez, you know, with eight receptions for 155 yards and three touchdowns. And then uh, Sean Luis Banda, and uh, Daniel Contreras each contributing a touchdown themselves. That victory improved Santa Cruz's record to four and one on the season. A big surprise for us, uh, you know, this being that it's the halfway point of the season. But what are you liking about Santa Cruz uh, so far? What I'm liking about Santa Cruz is what I was kind of harping on a lot last season was Nathan Harris's throwing ability. You 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 touched on it earlier. The Wide receivers had a career night with him at the helm. He's able not only to find wide open receivers, but put them in a position to get more yards after the catch and possibly score. So I got to commend Nathan Harris's leadership right now because his ability to take that criticism and grow on it and not only grow on it, but excel past it. I got to give him mad props for this team being four and one five games into the season. And if you look at it, I've only given up 19 points since their loss to Coolidge in the last three weeks and have scored 146. So a big difference uh, since that loss to Coolidge. But they're going to have a good matchup uh, here this upcoming week against Heritage Academy. But we'll dive into those uh, at the end of the show when we make our picks. But let's move on into our Thursday matchup in the 3A division which was one of our games of the week as it featured the Push Ridge uh, Lions taking on the Santan Foothill Sabercats and the Lions coming out victorious 42-0. And with that loss, it drops Santan Foothill's record to 1-5 and five on the year. Your thoughts uh, from that game? It, it, was, it was a tough game because in the beginning, it was really competitive, very defensive game in the beginning. And then after... Push Ridge was able to start getting their run game incorporated. Uh, they just ran away with it, so to speak. And it, it hurts to see a team like the Sabercats struggle like that, especially on their homecoming night. But there were a lot of times where they could have made something happen, but it was 
one simple play or, or, or a penalty that would just shift the momentum and then just completely kill their drive. What, what was something about this game that stood out to you? How young uh, Santan Foothills really is, you know. I think having David Robiloth and a couple of the other seniors who weren't able to play, the players that had to fill those roles, it's just inexperience, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day. And when you're playing a team like Pushridge, who is considered one of the top, if not the top team in 3A, you have a tall ask when it comes to those younger players trying to play at the level of what those seniors would have played at. Now, granted, if those players would have played, would have made much of a difference? I'm not sure. Just because of how good Pushridge is, but at the same time, it's just going to be a lot of growing pains for the Sabercats as long as those senior players are not able to play. Yeah, it, it, it sucked to see David Cohen, you know, not fully dressed out on the sideline. And I feel the worst part for me was actually going down to the field when I'm getting ready to hand out the get it in uh, player of the game, their gear and get those photos. At the end of the game, there was an interception. And then just seeing the pure frustration on Cohen's face when his team is already down, the game is already over, but you're seeing your team make mistakes and you're still that invested, even though you're not in the game, like to see that frustration and that hurt, it, you make, it makes you feel for them. And I wish they were able to at least compete in that game, but the player's health and safety is, is above all else. So we wish David and Cohen a speedy recovery. We hope to see them back on the field soon, but we just hope that they're able to, to monitor their health and make the Sabercats a more complete team again. Absolutely. And the one thing I can say as a positive for Santan Foothills that I really enjoyed was nobody's head was hanging that was out there on the field. They were still giving it everything they had Mm -hmm. and leaving it out there on the field. So I can commend them uh, for that effort. And even though things kind of got out of control, they were still ready to play every single down. But for the Sabercats, they're actually going to be going into a bye week. So another chance to kind of get healthy. But right now they're on a four-game slide. So when they come off that bye, they're going to have to play a Coolidge team who is going to try to have to win out in order to make the playoffs. So, you know, you're going to get the best in Coolidge. I just hope by that time they're healthy and they're ready to go. Let's see what time it brings. But let's talk about the matchup between the ALA Ironwood Warriors and the Benjamin Franklin Chargers. This game ended with the Warriors losing 7-49. to What did you think seeing this score? Because we were kind of expecting ALA's defense to put uh, a hold on the Benjamin Franklin Chargers because you've actually got to see the Chargers play. And based off of what you were able to see from the Chargers and what we know just on paper from the ALA Ironwood Warriors and their defense, was this how you expected this game to play out? Absolutely not. I thought this was going to be a very close matchup and be a low-scoring affair, especially with ALA Ironwood only giving up 38 points up to that point in the season. And then, you know, to see how Coolidge was able to battle it out with uh, Benjamin Franklin, I thought this was going to be a game ALA Ironwood was uh, going to be able to pull out. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. And I think the difference here is the passing game by uh, Ty uh, Sather for Benjamin Franklin. Wasn't a lot of that uh, when I seen them against Coolidge. And the kid threw for 180 yards and three touchdowns. And so it wasn't that same wing T offense that they're going to just run it majority of the plays to try to open up a pass or two. And so I think that that might have been the difference in the game. And, of course, the Warriors' offense wasn't able to get going. Now, when you go from a run-heavy offense to an offense that is primarily going to be passing, what is the difference on the defender? Like, what is your mindset? Well, uh, being that I'm sure ALA Ironwood studied for the run, your focus is run first, pass second. And so with that wing T, when you have those multiple options to hand it off and you and the quarterback pulls it back, your defenders are going to come in and expect the run. And then if you're not ready for it, you're not ready to defend the pass. And that leaves a lot of open wide receivers. And I think that that 
is what happened here is that ALA Ironwood expected to uh, get that wing T for majority of the game, and Benjamin Franklin came out with a different attack. But let me ask you this to try to spin this into something positive. Do you feel like with Benjamin Franklin taking advantage of the Ironwood secondary like that has strengthened them a little bit in order to prepare them for their upcoming game? I think if you look at it, yes, it should help strengthen it because now you can't go in there always expecting if it's a run-heavy team to for them to run it. You know, because we saw what ALA Ironwood did against Coolidge and stuffing the run, and that was Coolidge being really one-dimensional and wasn't able to open up the pass. But another thing you got to look at is Aiden Williams only had 66 yards rushing where last week he rushed for, I believe, almost 200, if not over 200 yards. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at that, their offense only gained 254 yards. That tells me that their run game wasn't getting going early on and maybe their defense had to be on the field a lot more. And after a while, we, we know how much a rushing attack can fatigue a team. And maybe that's where the change happened on ALA Ironwood's defense is that they were probably on the field a little bit longer than they were expecting and probably got tired out. Well, we'll get into what they'll be doing this week a little bit later. We'll actually be there for their homecoming matchup. And I can't wait to go out to ALA Ironwood. That's probably one of the best things about the Grand Canyon Gridiron Road Tour is we've actually been going to a lot of homecoming nights. We've been getting to see the major festivities that these schools are able to put on and get to see the hype surrounded around the kings and queens and all the courts. So it it brings you back and it makes you feel happy that these kids are still able to carry on these traditions that we got to enjoy many moons ago. Well, speaking of time-honored tradition, let's talk about a rivalry as old as time. The Coolidge Bears took the 10-mile drive down to Florence High School to battle the Gophers, where the Gophers topped the Bears 30-12. to When we saw this final score, it was kind of on par for where we were expecting it to be, at least for me. Was there anything that Coolidge could have done to make this game a little bit more closer or was this always going to be a game where the Gophers were going to dominate and put on for the Friday night fever crowd Uh, the Bears had opportunities from what I hear and you know they just didn't take advantage of them there was plenty of opportunities in the red zone for the Bears to score and they unfortunately turned the ball over and you cannot have that especially against a team like Florence, if you expect to win. If you look at Logan Stenson, he threw for 183 and one touchdown, but the biggest thing for me is he threw two interceptions. So that means that the Bears were creating turnovers themselves. They just weren't taking advantage of them, where Florence did the exact opposite. They created turnovers from the Bears, which I believe – Gavin Gunter threw an interception and fumbled the ball twice. So three turnovers there that executed into gopher touchdowns. And so that's the difference in there is taking care of the ball. And when you do get a turnover, you have to execute it and turn it into points. But what do you think? Like when you see that score 30 to 12, what does that tell you? One thing that it tells me is there was no kicking game. There was, there was probably no chance for them to maybe make that, or, or maybe they did. I don't, I don't know how they got their points exactly. Um, we, we didn't actually get to go to this game, but the, the final score shows me that Florence came in the more prepared team, and we've seen it before many, many times where it doesn't matter what the record is of, of these two teams. It just matters about the competitive spirit between the, the players on each side. And right now, Florence just just fed into our narrative where we knew that they were going to come in hungry. They they had this mentality to beat Coolidge in their last game or in their previous game where they had just finished off Rio Rico 35 to 8. So when you're a team that that is that focused not only on beating your rival but winning the day, you can't help but root for Florence right now because they took the team that was 
kind of handed uh, a, a less than heavy schedule last season and w- was making it a time for them to sharpen their swords. And look at them right now. Now they're a team that not many people can compete with their attacks. Oh, absolutely. And the best part about it is they're winning every phase of the game, whether they're ahead, they're behind, you know, they're playing a turnover type of game, or even if it's just a close uh, matchup in all, they're winning at every phase. Since that loss to Valley Christian, they're 4-0. They're on a four-game winning streak, and the record stands at 5-1. and This was a big game for both teams, as now Coolidge drops to 2-4, and and you got to think at this point in the season, their playoff hopes might be really diminished. You know, they're, they don't have the remaining schedule to help their strength of schedule in order to move up uh, a lot of spots. And we'll go over the, where the rankings are from the AIA as they released uh, the, their first rankings this past Monday. That's the importance of these type of games is if Coolidge would have pulled it out, it would have really helped their rankings. Whereas Florence winning this one kind of still puts them up there in that top 10 or even eventually possibly moving into the top five as long as they keep winning and doing what they're doing. Yeah, it's going to be a different story for both teams come the end of the month. But what are you hoping that Coolidge is able to do to kind of stay above water in these times where the playoffs are kind of not even a murky situation? You kind of got to keep that out of your mind now. How do you win out through the rest of the season? They're going to play an injured, ridden Sabercats team coming up. They have a game against Crisman. Those two games are games that are kind of like gimmies. But what are things that they need to do to not overlook these two teams so they don't fall deeper into this hole that they're already digging for themselves? Take care of the ball. That's the one thing I will say. They're playing good ball. I mean, you know, the passing game's opening up. The running game's still there. Now it's just about p- taking care of the ball and putting the ball in the end zone. And that's all I could say about that because you can't look overlook any of these teams as we saw, you know, with uh, some games that happened in previous weeks. You can never overlook a team. And so that's all I got to say. And like I said, I applaud Florence uh, for continuing to do what they're doing and continuing that dominance. And we got to commend both communities for breaking the record again for the second year in a row. You put it on Twitter that Friday Night Fever should automatically put the Coolidge-Florence game on the ballot or at least make it a game where they come out every year because it is going to get the attention of the communities and and you love it, bro. Like There was a time where it looked like the Greenway game was actually going to take it. But we know anything. We know that the, the Florence kids were sitting there on their tablets, you know, voting away to make sure that they were able to get News Channel 12 to come down to Florence and, and broadcast that game. And, and, and I'm happy for them, man. I'm just really looking forward to what they're able to do this week. But let's talk about what happened with the Bradshaw Mountain Bears and the Apache Junction Prospectors. The game ended 41-28 to in favor of the Bears. How did you think... This game turned out for the prospectors. I'm a, it was a little bit like I expected. I mean, Bradshaw Mountain is not an easy team to play, but it just seemed like after that third quarter, things kind of got away from Apache Junction as they trailed 34 to 14 going into the fourth quarter. But at the same time, they step, still kept fighting. I, I don't have any stats to kind of go off for Apache Junction, but at the same time, they, they were still in it. It wasn't that they couldn't have won, but when you're trailing, you know, by two touchdowns at halftime, you just got to make those adjustments to turn things around, and it just kind of got a little bit away from them going into that fourth quarter. Yeah, and, and you said it earlier, the Bradshaw Mountain Bears are a very tough team, one of those teams up north that we can kind of depend on to, to always be in the playoff picture. So it's not a surprise to see them – knocking out Apache Junction like that. But what really is a surprise is that five games into the season, a team that was in the playoffs last year is now one and four. How does that affect the morale of the guys in black and gold? It's a learning curve. You know, I'm sure they 
didn't expect to be here uh, this season, you know, and then we can talk about them losing their key piece in the backfield in Isaiah Savoy. But at the same time, those are the things that happen when you're very senior heavy or you, a lot of your main players are getting ready to leave. But at the same time, I don't think that this is the end for Apache Junction. I think that they still have opportunities to try to make it a 500 season. And we'll see what they have coming into next year. But as of right now, uh, you know that one and four is not going to be good enough to make the playoffs. But they still have an opportunity to kind of ride the ship. Let's see if the Junction boys are able to hold on while they experience all this upcoming region play. So let's move into our other 4A division matchup, which was the Coconino Panthers taking on the Post and Butte Broncos. And it was another close one this year as Post and Butte barely escapes by Coconino, winning 30-27. to 27. Your thoughts on this matchup? It was a nail-biter for sure. When we were keeping up with the score, it was really tough to see you know, who was going to end up skating away in this matchup. But one thing that was really important for the Broncos in this game, quarterback Mason Lloyd was back in this one. Even though he didn't throw for a lot, he was there and he was able to put a lot of his efforts on the ground and rack up 110 yards and also score a couple of touchdowns. So if you look at it and you you see one of his longest runs was for 72 yards, the kid was able to put the Broncos on his back and help them get over a very tough Coconino team. And if you look at the opposite side for Coconino, their quarterback was kind of the opposite. In the air, he was on fire. He was 21 for 37 and unfortunately had no touchdowns and an interception. But to see that post and butte defense able to capitalize on that and help put away, like I said, one of the toughest teams that they are going to face this year it shows that Post and Butte is definitely maturing in a way that is prominent for a team to go back into a championship picture, don't you say? It definitely does. And what I liked is the 397 rushing yards that Post and Butte uh, got against Coconino. That is Post and Butte football, and that's what we know them to be, mm-hmm. is a big running team. And even off of Mason Lloyd's 110 yards, Ja'Kai Robertson with 112 and a touchdown, and then Michael Whitman with 138, who seems to be the featured back uh, for the Broncos. But this was definitely a big win that's going to help the power rankings for Post and Butte as now they sit 3-2 and two on the year, and I'm sure they're right. they have to be right there in the mix to be one of those top 16 teams halfway through the season. But you were talking about this possibly being one of their toughest matchups. But I think I have a team uh, this week who might say otherwise, and we'll take a look at that here shortly. All right. But a big, big props to Post and Butte. I know uh, in these close matchups, sometimes it hasn't gone in their favor, like the Micah Mountain matchup. But here, you did what you had to do, even though it might not be the score they probably were hoping for going into it. They still picked up a victory, and that's all that matters at the end of the day. So great to see Mason Lloyd back in the lineup, and you can see the difference that he makes for his team. And now we're back to old-school Bronco football, you know, defense and run game. All right, now let's talk about a situation that is completely flipped. The Prescott Badgers come in after their big loss against the Vista Grande Spartans and thrash the Combs Coyotes 42 to zero. Now, this was something that I anticipated because knowing the struggles of the Coyotes and seeing how the Badgers were kind of not up to par whenever they were playing Vista, I would say, because we kind of expected that one to go in their favor, but they just weren't able to, to keep up with them. But in this game, they were able to put their foot on the gas and not look back. Yeah, they definitely came to play uh, after dropping that game to Vista Grande last week. And it just goes to show you that even though Combs was able to pick up a victory last week, Maryville is not 
the Prescott Badgers. And Prescott is still, despite what their record says, a good team that's going to contend and try to make one of those uh, last uh, 16 spots when it comes to the 4A division. You just see the struggles of Combs and the how those injuries have kind of plagued their season this year. And I'm just hoping that they can pull off another couple of wins before the end of the season and because I don't believe that Combs is a one and four team when when healthy. And so at this time, it's just going to be a team like Apache Junction, who unfortunately lost a lot of players and now have to kind of go through that little hurdle of getting players to step in uh, and play those big roles. This was something that we didn't anticipate from Combs, but you can't really anticipate injuries and you never really plan for them. So I wish them the best throughout the rest of the season. And I hope that they don't have to face too much adversity like they have been these past few weeks. Well, let's go into our second game of the week, which was our Friday matchup between the Desert Sunrise Golden Hawks and the Vista Grande Spartans where the Spartans picked up the victory 52-7. to And I know that I said it wouldn't be a moral victory if they didn't at least pick up 50 points, and they did just that. But at the same time, things didn't start off with, uh, with how the score ended up. No, 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 no. When it started off, we got a lot of Desert Sunrise and not a whole lot of the Spartans in the, in the beginning. Desert Sunrise was able to pick up an interception, and then not only that, they were able to work it downfield and were able to get a touchdown from young Sean Shelby, and it was uh, an eyebrow raiser because we we looked at each other like, maybe this game's not going to go how we were expecting, and it's unfortunate that our audio wasn't able to be captured whenever we were talking about this game because we were hyping up both teams a lot in the beginning because Desert Sunrise definitely came to play but it took Vista a little longer to realize, hey, this is homecoming. We're, re- we're wearing red for a reason. <laughs> Let's put it on them. And, and after they were able to get their first score, they were kind of able to push Desert Sunrise to the side and said, hey, you know, we got 50 points to get here. Let's, let's keep going. And that's exactly what they did. It was, I feel like the most disheartening thing for me to see was seeing young Fernando Moya limping off the field and onto the sidelines, and as he was on the trainer's table, it, it didn't look good. He, he looked like he was in a ton of pain, and by the time halftime had came and went and we found out who the king and queen were, he came out in a boot in plain clothes on crutches. So that's never a good sign. We wish 21 a speedy recovery, and we hope that he's able to go whenever he's you know called upon next, but you know to take time on that injury so that way he can heal up. But... Nonetheless, a big victory for Vista Grande. And, and history was made there nonetheless because they had their first 5-0 and start to their season. And for the first time ever, we had to pick two players from the same team because they were able to put it on Desert Sunrise so well that we couldn't even decide between the two. So congratulations to Darius Brown and Darnell Castro for their Get It In Player of the Game awards. I know, I just said a mouthful. What did you feel about this game? That Vista Grande looked like a more improved team than I saw at the Pueblo game. And granted, two totally different teams in Pueblo and Desert Sunrise. But at the same time, I thought it was a very complete game. Not only from, we, I know what their defense is going to do. Their defense is all over the field. If for only uh, their four defense alignment, the amount of pressure they can put on a quarterback and make things hard for uh, a QB1 on the opposite end, their offense, you know, still shined. And Brendan Hunt threw for 194 yards and two touchdowns. And you talked about that one interception in the first quarter. But after that, I mean, he played a near perfect game. And then even when Fernando Moyo went down, you had a uh, Tayon Green step in his place and he rushed for 111 yards and two touchdowns but I gotta say man one of the big things for me was the play of the wide receivers for Vista Grande they just seem to make these miraculous catches game in and game out I mean Darnell Castro 
some of those sideline catches. I know all of them weren't uh, considered uh, inbounds, but still to be able to uh, get the receptions. And Cyrus uh, Sissel, that kid plays not only hard on offense, but defense, special teams. So you got to give it up to uh, Vista Grande for an overall great performance. I know it's not how they wanted things to start uh, in that first quarter, but just to stay humble and know that they have work to do and not to overlook this team and still put up 52 points, you got to know that this team is starting to get the attention of a lot of that 4A division. And I think when the AIA releases their power rankings next week, we're going to really see how much respect Vista Grande is going to be getting in that 4A division. Yeah, they're definitely getting a lot of respect. And then one thing I got to say, too, I got to give a huge apology to my guy, Braden Brown. I told him a couple of days ago that I had the photos up and I just had to go through them. And, and as soon as I got them up, it was going to be up no later than yesterday. I apologize, bro. There's been some things going on, but it'll be up soon. And I'll definitely get them up before you guys play your next game. Well, let's move into our first 5A matchup, which is the Maricopa Rams, who played a 4A team in the Mesquite Wildcats. And the Wildcats uh, ran away with this one, winning 34-10 to over the Rams. Was this a surprise for you when it came to uh, both teams? It wasn't really a surprise for me seeing Mesquite come away with this one. I kind of thought that they would. I think that them beating Maricopa by two touchdowns was probably in the neighborhood of where I had them winning by. The one thing that was really surprising was only seeing 10 points of offense coming from the Rams, especially with them being so red hot before their game against Casa Grande. And it seems like they were, you know, once they were able to take that, that smack that it kind of slowed them down quite a bit. So I, I hope that they're able to, to recoup and, and gain that same type of confidence that they had within the first two, three, four games of the season. And they're able to answer back. One thing that was really standing out to me is that even though Jose Cardona had a 57% completion rate, he was only able to throw for a touchdown, but even then still threw for an interception. So Mesquite was able to, just like you said before, capitalize on those turnovers and was able to put away a 5A team that is on the come up, but is still kind of dealing with those growing pains. And I think you said it very well. I mean, Mesquite had an inter- that interception was returned for a touchdown. So that's set, uh, six points right there that you're giving up uh, to the defense. But I think one of the most positive things you can take away for Maricopa in this game is on the defensive side. They forced Alex Erlinson to throw for four interceptions in this game, even though he threw for three touchdowns, they were still able to cause four turnovers on the defensive side. Just unfortunately, the offense was not able to execute on those. And you got to take a look at what the offense did in whole. 165 yards passing. The big thing you got to circle is only nine yards rushing. It's not a very balanced attack, and it's not going to help you to be a team like Mesquite's uh, that even though their record doesn't say how good they are, they're still a dangerous team week in and week out. A hundred percent. They're, they're a team that teeters on that relegation of 4A and 5A because there's some years where they can put away 5A teams with ease and then sometimes where they struggle. So it, it, it's, it's kind of reminiscent of the game that we're going to be talking about next because this game was a huge surprise. The Casa Grande Cougars went down to Tucson to face the Micah Mountain Thunderbolts, and the Thunderbolts were able to come away with this one 42-27. Was this game a big surprise for you to see? Because this was not what we were expecting, right? Well, definitely not the outcome I thought was going to happen. I knew it was going to be a really good matchup, especially how well Micah Mountain's been playing this year. Yeah. I just didn't think that Micah Mountain was going to be able to put up 42 points on the Cougars' defense. Look at Micah Mountain as a team that is going to get a lot of respect after this victory. And the 4A better watch out for him. But for Casa Grande, I mean, this was a game you definitely needed, especially when you come into your region play. That's not the strongest in 5A. It's going to be a 
a big hill to climb if they want to see the playoffs at the end of the season. Yeah, Micah Mountain is now a team that has put away both teams that were in the state championship game three years ago. So granted, both teams have lost a lot of players since then, but this shows the progression of the Thunderbolts and them being able to become, if not the, definitely one of the powerhouses down here in Tucson. When you come down here, you can't just think Sal Point and Cienega. Micah Mountain has definitely got to be in the conversation now. And if you want to look at just how well they did, I mean, El Gant was still able to do his thing through for 314 uh, yards and three touchdowns. But the big thing here is the three interceptions, and you just can't have that if you're Casa Grande and you're trying to answer the call every time Micah Mountain scores. But Kaysen Colbert for Micah Mountain rushed for 246 yards and three touchdowns. We knew how big he was. He's a big guy. He's like a Jerome Bettis, Mike Allscott, if you're going to make a comparison, that type of back. But at the same time, I did not expect – 246 yards from from him, especially with how good Castle Grand's defense has been playing in prior weeks. Yeah, it, it, it was definitely something to look at when you get to see the difference between Casey Colbert and the defense and how he was able to take advantage of not only the holes that they were giving him, but get massive yards for all of his runs. If I'm Casa Grand, what I'm trying to do is make sure that I don't overlook this and make it seem like, oh, it was just a one-time thing. You got to make sure that you're able to learn from these losses. And like you said, they, they have a pretty easy region schedule coming up. So they have to dominate every team, especially when they play a team, like, and no disrespect, but when they play Nogales, I'll say it this time. If they don't put up 50 points on Nogales, it's not a moral victory. They, they, they need to show that they are a dominant school. This doesn't hurt them because Micah Mountain themselves are dogs. Like we knew that they, they weren't going to settle for being the second looked at school in Tucson. They're, they're coming for the ship. Casa Grande, on the other hand, they're, they're hoping to get back into that, that championship form. And in order to do that, they have to win out now. They, they have no chance of failure from here on out. They have to look to win at any cost. Well, that's going to wrap things up for our week six recap, but let's take a look. Uh, I know usually we have our max preps rankings, but we're going to kind of scratch those out uh, from this point forward. And even though we don't have the 4A and 5A rankings for max preps, which like I said, comes out next week, we can still talk about the 2A and 3A uh, rankings and see uh, where our teams kind of stand. So in the 2A division, you have... Santa Cruz Valley sitting at 14. And remember, they have a 4-1 and one record, while ALA Anthem South is ranked 44th. What are your thoughts when you see uh, Santa Cruz ranked at 14? It's, it's, it sucks because I feel with them being 4-1, and one, I don't understand how they're behind teams like Tombstone, Cortez, I mean, if you go a little bit above them, like even if you look at Phoenix Christian, Phoenix Christian is doing so well, I don't see how they're teetering at the, you know, the end of the top 10. It's really confusing because when these rankings first come out, you have a lot of confusion, a lot of reason to talk about it. I feel like if I'm Santa Cruz, I feel snubbed. If I'm 5-1 and one right now in this season when many people kind of overlooked me and, and the AIA is doing just that, I'm going to do everything I can to force myself into the top 10 especially when the max preps ranking themselves, I think had them within the... They, they were nine. I yeah, the, the top 10, at, just teetering at the nine spot. And so, but at the same time, those rankings don't matter. All that matters is what the AIA has put out. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, you know, they are still in that top 14 uh, rankings. But at the same time, they're still in the top 14. But now... They have some big matchups here in their region coming up. They got to beat teams like Santan Charter, who just devoured uh, Chandler Prep 65-43. to They have Chandler Prep still to play. If they can pick up those two victories, I guarantee you they're going to be in the top 10, or if not, maybe even up into the top five. These, really, these rankings really don't matter. 
what matters is the rankings in a couple of weeks because that's where you're going to want to 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 be harped on your placement. You want to be definitely within the top 16. You want to be maybe in the top eight so that way you can secure home field advantage throughout the playoffs or throughout the time in the playoffs where you're actually able to have home games. So I would, I would say this to them right now. Don't really worry about your placement right now. Just worry about making sure that you keep rising on that list. And the higher they rise, the better off it's going to be for them, especially with the two ways still having region winners as the season nears its end, will kind of show just why winning your region is so important because you're going to get a team in there that plays in a region that's not very competitive and they're going to earn a spot at the dance while there's going to be another team who probably has a better record or if not has a 500 record but plays better competition and they're going to be on the outside looking in. So Definitely important to continue to win and move up as high as you can. Now, let's look at what the AIA has done with the 3A division rankings. Going down, Florence is at 6. ALA Ironwood sits at 20. Coolidge is at 24. And Santan Foothills is at 28. There's three teams in here that are on the outside looking in. They have... A, they have a very little chance of making it within that playoff window. But what do you have to say about Florence being number six with them just behind Push Ridge and ALA West Foothills? ALA West Foothills, a team that is definitely showing out this season. What are your thoughts on these 3A division rankings? Um, I think they're pretty accurate. You know, if I look through the the whole top 16, Mojave, Paradise Valley, Valley Christian, ALA, West Foothills, Push Ridge. Then you said Florence at six, Sabino, Blue Ridge, River Valley, Morency, Gilbert Christian, Ben Franklin, Winslow, Thatcher, Payson, and Safford. To me, those are the top 16 teams right now. And in 3A, it's the top 16 teams that are going to advance to uh, the playoffs. I think where uh, Florence sits right now at six, everybody ahead of them, has a reason why they should be in the top five. What's going to affect Florence's placement is unfortunately the remainder of their schedule as it's not very competitive. So they may even slip down a little bit, but I'm hoping that they don't slip past eight because Florence is definitely a team that deserves to be in the top seven or even in the top six from this point on if they do not lose the game the remainder of the season. Yeah, and the best thing is, is again, we get to follow what Nolan does and then seeing the video that he put out for the Coolidge and Florence game. Man, it gives you chills just to see not only the way the community showed out for the Friday Night Fever, but Florence in general just paying their tributes to the men and women in service and then our armed forces, the first responders. It it was a great turnout. And, And I'll say it right now, I hope that Florence is able to make their way into the 3A playoffs, and that we are able to follow this team all the way to a state championship. Well, if you look at the remainder of the teams, I mean, that can have a chance here in Pinal County, the best odds would be ALA Ironwood, but they have to definitely win out the remainder of their games and probably go 7-3 and three on the season. But like I said, Coolidge at 24 not liking their chances, especially with the remaining schedule and playing Santan Foothills, Crisman this week against a La Jolla community. Those are not going to help their strength of schedules. So those are why these first few games are so important to a season because it can set you way behind and trying to play catch up for the remainder of the season. And for some teams, they just don't have that strength of schedule to overcome all that. But at the same time, look at the records. You have Santan Foothills at 1-5, and five, while Tempe is 4-2, and two, and that, that's a big surprise for me as well, mm-hmm. is seeing Tempe at 4-2 and because normally they're in the 30s area of, for most of the season. But with this rankings, it definitely shows just how much teams have moved around from last year to this year and what teams kind of drastically improved and which – and which ones kind of took a big step backwards. 
But let's go into our favorite segment of the show as it's going to be our rapid fire segment where we're going to pick this week's matchups and see who's going to be taking home some victories. All right. So let's talk about the games here tonight. The first one that we'll talk about is the Santa Cruz Dust Devils playing the Heritage Academy Heroes at Arizona Lutheran Academy's field. I know I just said a lot. Who do you got, Santa Cruz or the Heroes? We're coming into this one. Santa Cruz sits at 4-1, and one, Heritage Academy at 3-2. and Going to be a big region matchup. But I'm going to go to, with that hot offense and the team that's uh, won four in a row. So I'm going with Santa Cruz. What about you? I'm going with the Dust Devils as well. Let's talk about our 4A matchup for tonight. The Apache Junction Prospectors playing the Marcos Deniza Padres. Who you got? AJ's uh, at 1-4, Marcos Deniza at 3-2. and two. I'm going to give the edge to Marcos Deniza here as I think that they're going to be a little bit too much for Apache Junction. Yeah, I got to give it to the Padres on this one too. The way that Apache Junction had lost the last game, I feel like it's going to be so, somewhat of a, like a hangover experience in this game where it's going to carry on. All right, so let's go into our first Friday matchup which is going to feature the 5-0 and Vista Grande Spartans taking on the 3-2 and Arizona College Prep Knights. See, we talked about this a lot last Friday, especially when we were having our dinner at Buffalo Wild Wings after the game. AZ College Prep, one of the toughest teams, probably going to be one of the more tougher teams that Vista faces this year. And if they want to be that championship team that we know Vista can be, they have to beat them. And I think that's what they're going to do. I got faith behind the Spartans. Who do you got? I, I like the way Vista Grande is playing, uh, especially on the defensive end. I think that they can cause trouble uh, for the Knights on that uh, side of the field. But the one big thing I have to take into consideration is the health of Fernando Moya. Will their running backs be able to help uh, lift up the rushing attack that the Spartans bring on the offensive end. But with that being said, I think that I got to ride with that hot defense of Vista Grande to uh, pretty much pick up the upset victory as I know AZ College Prep is looked up, is looked as one of the better 4A teams. Not saying that uh, Vista Grande ain't making noise, but I'm going to go with the Spartans on this one. All right, let's stay in the city of Casa Grande. As they come down here to Tucson, the 3-2 and two Casa Grande Cougars Face off with the three and two Desert View Jaguars. Who do you got in this match of the Big Cats? It got to be Casa Grande. They're going to come back, especially off of that loss to Micah Mountain. Want to uh, make a statement here in their region, and I think that they're going to pick up the victory. How about you? I got the Cougars as well. Let's see if they're able to come back down to Tucson and make a little bit better memory as they take that bus ride home. All right, so you were talking about Post and Butte's biggest game possibly being Coconino, but this matchup might say otherwise as you have the Post and Butte Broncos at 3-2 and going to take on the Eastmark Firebirds, who are also 3-2. and two. How do you see this one playing out? Oh, man, this one's tough. You were right. Now that, now that I'm, I'm under the microscope and have to choose, we saw Eastmark tear apart a Combs Coyotes team that was really, really hurt. But Post and Butte isn't that team. I got to go with our Pinal County team. I got to put, put the money on the Post and Butte boys. Who do you got? Well, seeing that Eastmark's only lost to Canyon de Oro and Northwest Christian, which I think those are the top two teams in the rankings on Max Preps. They lost to CDO by seven, lost to Northwest, Northwest Christian by two. I just think that this may be a matchup that might be a little bit tough for Post and Butte. So I'm going to give the edge to the Firebirds on this one. Well, I mean, they, they were last year's 3A state champions for a reason. So let's see if Post and Butte is able to compete with them. I definitely hope they are, and I definitely hope they pick up the victory. But just on paper, got to go with East Martin. All right, let's go back to the city of Florence where the Gophers will be hosting the Borgade Catholic Golden Eagles. Florence sits at 5-1. and one, and Borgade Catholic, unfortunately, is winless 0-5. Uh, Florence is going to put up some big numbers uh, Friday night going to uh, Florence with a very easy victory. Yeah, I got the Gophers as well. 
All right, now we have the Combs Coyotes who are at one and four taking on the Mesquite Wildcats who sit at two and three. How do you see this one playing out? This is going to go the Wildcats way. I feel like Combs is is pretty banged up right now and, and Mesquite is going to take full advantage of it. I definitely got to agree with you. I'm going with the Wildcats for the victory there. All right, let's talk about the Coolidge Bears playing the La Jolla Community Lobos. Who do you have? Coolidge sits at two and four, while La Jolla Community as well is winless, 0 and 5. Is this a gimme game that Coolidge needs? It could be. It definitely could be a gimme game. It depends on what Coolidge team comes to play. And I think that this is a good game for Coolidge to get back into the winner's circle. I am going to give them the edge. I just hope this is a team that they don't overlook and they're able to put it on a La Jolla community. Yeah, I got the Bears going. I got the Bears taking the win in this one as well. All right, so we got another uh, region matchup as it's going to be the Desert Sunrise Golden Hawks who are 0-4 taking on the Arcadia Titans who sit at 5-0. How do you see this one playing out? Uh, There's only one way it could go, and that's the Arcadia Titans putting away the Desert Sunrise Golden Hawks. It it, it could be a lot different. I think I'll I'll say this. For the Desert Sunrise game and Casa Grande game and a lot of those 4A, 5A teams, be on the lookout more on the stats because a lot of those transfers are eligible now. Yes, sir. So it's going to be a big game changer as we get to see who is under center for Desert Sunrise. Is it going to be the young lefty Vinny Sanchez? Or is it going to be Mike Wallace? That's a good quarterback battle. We'll see who takes the QB one spot come Friday. And I'm going to ride along with you. I'm going to take Arcadia to pick up the victory to move to 6-0. and And then we go down to the 2A division as we have the 0-6 ALA Anthem South Titans taking on the 5-0 Pima Rough Riders. I know uh, where I'm leaning on this one. And I'm sure I know where you're leaning on this one, but who do you got? I got Pima. It's gonna, there's there's going to come a time soon where we can actually have a debate about the Titans matchup. But until that day comes, yeah, I got to go with their opponent. And it's just so weird that Pima is in the same region as ALA Anthem South in that 2A black region. I think it's just far too easy for Pima. I thought they would be in a different region this year, especially after winning the state championship. But you got to play the cards that you're dealt, and right now they're getting pretty much the easiest schedule in 2A, and so I got the um, Rough Riders improving to 6-0. and So let's talk about our game of the week. We are going down to ALA Ironwood as they prepare for their homecoming matchup with the newcomers, the Crisman Rattlers. ALA Ironwood sits at 3-3, three and three, with Crisman playing one of the toughest schedules for a newcomer, sitting at 0-6. Who do you got taking this match? I think uh, ALA Ironwood is going to get back into that winner's circle. Um, I think they're going to be a little bit too much for Crisman, but definitely excited to see what type of team Crisman is and just to see how far away they are from potentially being a contender here in the 3A division because, like I said, there was a lot of hype surrounding their team, uh, especially being a uh, Queen Creek, uh, you know, Gilbert type of team uh, with comparisons to ALA Gilbert North and ALA Queen Creek. Those teams have all gotten a lot of focus their first year. It's just unfortunate that their record doesn't state that. But at the same time, I got to go with the Warriors on this one. I got to go with the Warriors on this one as well. It's going to be their their homecoming match. We're going to be in the stands for the first time. It's definitely going to be a great experience as we head up to Santan Valley. But let's talk about our no-doubter this week. In our list of games that we have to choose from, which game for you is a no-doubt win, and who's that team picking up the win? I got to go with the Florence Gophers against Borgate Catholic as my no-doubter. I mean, like I said, it should be an easy victory for Florence, and I just don't see it being much of a competition. What about you? I feel like my no-doubter is definitely going to be the Mesquite Wildcats taking it over the Combs Coyotes. It's going to be really rough waters for Combs for here on out, and the Wildcats are not going to make it an easy one. 
But looking at that same schedule, which one is which game in there is your sleeper pick? Which one has the biggest opportunity to come out with an upset? I mean, there's a couple in there that can be my sleeper pick because these games can go either way. But since I went against them this week, I'm going to uh, take the Post and Butte Broncos upsetting the Eastmark Firebirds as my sleeper pick of the week. What about you? My sleeper pick is going to be the game tonight, being the Apache Junction Prospectors taking it over the Marcos Deniza Padres. That would be a big win for Apache Junction, most definitely. But there you have it. Another week down. Week six is wrapped up. We get to look forward to week seven. But is there anything else that you would like to add that we might have missed? We're going to get ready to release the application for the Leticia Cavazos Memorial Scholarship come the end of football season, so be on the lookout for that. We're also going to start getting ready to upload our podcast onto our YouTubes. So those who don't have Spotify or Apple Podcasts, if you want to listen to our podcast or, or, or just have that content available, it'll be up on YouTube soon. Uh, we got a lot of exciting things coming we'll talk about here in the near future. We just want to make sure that we got them locked down. Um, what about you, bro? Is there anything that you feel like you need to share or, or you just want to speak out? Uh, just the fundraising we're going to be doing uh, for uh, the scholarship. Uh, we're going to be uh, designing the new uh, shirt for the uh, 2023 season and uh, be on the lookout for that. And we're going to be taking those orders still going to be the same price. So, but be on the lookout for that uh, as I'm excited just to kind of get that going and, Pretty much to see what the rest of the season unfolds for all these teams. You know, I wish them all the best of luck this week. I hope that uh, our teams can get healthy. And, uh, you know, my goal is to one day see all of our teams pick up a victory in one week. I think that's something we haven't had before. So still waiting on that one. And, and maybe this week it might happen. Who knows? I know that it's, it's been a great episode, bro. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. We got some wings to get. I'll let you do your thing. We're going to be heading to Wingsy Moss, so thank you all for joining us. And if you haven't had a chance, go check them out down there in Tucson. But other than that, bro, you know what to do. Take it easy.